lectionary has helped us out with amazing readings during the summer months. And the one today is a theme that is throughout scripture that it is important with everything that is within us to unify the church. The church, when unified, and this is the church universal, has more power at its disposal than any other institution there ever was or ever will be on earth. When people come together in the power of the Holy Spirit, transformation of such a deep and powerful level can take place take place, that it is something we cherish, something we nurture, and it is a theme again and again and again in Scripture. Let us pray. Lord, we love your church. When we were singing the hymns and listening to the power of the Spirit-driven organ this morning, our hearts expanded. We love your church. We love you. Help us to drop any thoughts about ourselves this morning to the extent that that gets in the way of our seeing you. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you, for you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. When we say yes to Christ, there is something that actually happens within us, and that is, is that when we say yes to Christ, we become part of the people who have a calling. And it's a calling to love the world for Christ and love his church, which is the actual body of Christ. In the book of Acts, in the epistles, in the words of Christ himself, all of this testifies to the importance of the calling of the church. And it becomes like a drumbeat, love my church, love my people, live in harmony, live in unity, be powerful and effective in unity. And it is essential that the church know sacred oneness in the Holy Spirit. And I have known so many churches in my life. As a pastor's daughter, I used to go to sleep listening to meetings that go, went on and on in the living room. And I remember the droning of the church people in their meetings as I was trying to sleep. And then every once in a while, there'd be a burst of laughter. And they'd be cracking up about something. And that's my first encounter with hilarious, that laughter that bubbles up when people who love God are gathered together. And my earliest memories of the church, and I think this is really a grace-filled thing, my earliest members of the, memories of the church have to do with laughter. Agape love, God's love, that's not romantic or emotional, but it is the unconditional love. And this love brings relief and joy, just as laughter brings us lightness and happiness. Agape love and laughter belong together. Love and laughter. That's got a good way to describe the actual internal work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth that in our heart of hearts we're overjoyed to hear. In Christ our sins will not be held against us. Do you realize what a big deal that is? 
In Christ, our sins are forgiven. In Christ, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And there we have called again, which brings us to the opening of Ephesians 4, the calling. It says in Scripture, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. And variations of the scripture can be found in Galatians, in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, in the Gospels. Agape love is what believers have to exhibit and have to prove is possible in order for the church to be the powerful, healing, transformative messenger of Christ. Agape love is difficult to understand without sampling it. And church is God's living life laboratory for love that believes the best about people and bears all things and endures all things. In 1 Corinthians 13, this is the drumbeat of love. It believes all things. It believes all things about everyone. And the church is the place where you can go and know that if people are in the spirit, they'll believe the best about you. You will be given a break. And it is called grace. Love that forgives and love that expands and does not diminish. A love that will not be withheld. That supposedly is an infant or a toddler's loss of innocence. When they're a little kid, and all of a sudden they realize I did something so that the ones who love me most, my parents, they stopped loving me. Something was suddenly withheld. I'm no longer a creature of unconditional love. I do stuff and they take the love away. Well, that's not really what's happening with most per parents at all. But we are so desperate as human beings to know that the love is always, always there for us that we become overly sensitized. And when we become socialized, we think, oh my, I better do something to keep this love going because if I am my real self, it will be withdrawn and it will be taken away. People can and do thwart love. But I'm optimistic enough about people to know that a lot of that is not intentional. But because we do do this, the epistles are filled with watch out, watch out, watch out. No one can be in the community of Christ and feel unloved without consequences. There is a reason that so much of the New Testament addresses the necessity of our nurturing agape love. If thwarted, the people of God lose unity and identity and power. And it is amazing to see how easy it is to forget about the unconditional love of God in Christ. We do it all the time. And this epistle reading takes very seriously our ability, humans that we are, to undermine unifying peace. Be completely humble, Ephesians says. Blessed are the meek, 
Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's in Romans. Humility is the essential attitude. But what does this really mean? Humility has nothing to do with self-hatred or loathing or the devaluing of self or being weak. In fact, if we are absorbed with thoughts of our own unworthiness, that's a form of self-absorption, not humility. Here's what humility is. It has everything to do with other people and how we view other people. We have to know the huge value of the person sitting next to us. We have to know the value of every child who ever comes forward in a children's sermon. We have to know that everyone in Christ's community is in possession of an essential gift. A lot of times we just haven't discovered the gift. We have to know that the gifts that have been given can be trusted. God doesn't send one person to do it all or solve it all, solve it all or set everyone straight. It's not the Grandpa Nepstead syndrome. Let me explain. My grandpa was a hard-headed Norwegian, and he would be in a church for a while, and then he would just decide, they're wrong. Their theology is off. We must leave. And then he would go to another church and say, they're wrong. The way they handle money is screwy. We must leave. And then he'd go to another church and say, they're wrong. They hold too many coffee hours. I'm serious. <laughs> Here's the thing. My grandpa Nepstead was the most loving man in the world. I remember his sparkling blue eyes and his hugs and his embraces. But he never understood the value of bringing a church into unity. He thought it was all about him. And I know he knows differently now. But as an immigrant, he had such a fear and horror of being dependent on anyone that he missed the major point of the epistles. We have to be dependent on God, and we have to be dependent, interdependent with everyone else. And that message is so at odds with everything we hear in the world. We have to depend on God, and we have to depend on each other. In California, I was on the CPM, the um, Committee of Preparation for Ministry at the Presbytery level for about a decade. And that's the group that decides whether or not people are worthy, worthy isn't the word, equipped, maybe a better word, able to be a minister, because if they could do anything else, they were encouraged to do that. So we would have people there who would go through the paces to show whether or not they were equipped to be a pastor, a minister of word and sacrament. And people would come with great glowing academic records and great personalities, but failed the crucial test, which is talk about your weaknesses. And they would say, well, I'm way too busy. And we'd say, that's not a weakness. You get strokes for being busy. That's like the opposite of lazy. That's patting yourself on the back. Have an inner life here and tell us what are the reasons for your so being so busy. 
what are your weaknesses? And then when the pastor would say, I depend too much on what other people think of me, or I feel responsible for every person's feelings who exist in the congregation, or I take myself way too seriously, or I feel like an imposter, and then we would know that they were ready for the ministry because we knew that they would be on their knees. Because if we think for one minute that we can do this on our own power and on our own strength, that is not being equipped for anything. We have to know that without God, we're basically nothing. And we have to know that without Christ, it simply doesn't work. We have to know the humility of seeking God. A beautiful thing occurs when groups seek God in prayer to discern where the Spirit is leading. It's the stereo effect, the echo effect, the many voices effect. People will be given the same insights. When groups pray about a situation, there is nothing so humbling as hearing your thought which you thought was your thought being articulated in a different voice. And then you realize there is something bigger at work here. That wasn't my thought. That's a thought that the Holy Spirit is giving all kinds of people in the community. Prayer is the hallmark, the indicator of humility. Praying with others in the body of Christ is a most underutilized asset because when we pray together, about whatever the Lord puts on our hearts to prayer, there is that time when we stop praying and there's an afterglow. And in the afterglow, it's like the dam bursts and the ideas begin to flow. And where two or more are gathered and we say, I need God, I need people, I need humility, the Holy Spirit takes that and works with that. And we come up with solutions we never knew possible. Be completely humble and patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to bond with the Spirit through the bond of peace, the interrelatedness of all of those fruits. It's the church that's important. And it's dying all over the place and under very real attack because we have a world that says, Human ability, human strength alone can solve anything. It is the most powerful, blessed, healing, transformative, servant to the poor, servant to the lost, unearthly organization when Christ is honored and Christ is known and Christ is followed and Christ is worshipped. But when worldly fragmentation takes place, we begin to look elsewhere for the truth and what we're hearing in the spirit, if we can listen at all, is hang on to Christ. He hangs on to us, sometimes with a gentle tether and sometimes with a vice grip, for the purpose of sacred unity, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Come to the place where we are one. 
and the joy and the laughter come from a different place within our souls. Come to the table and let us pray. Lord, we love you. We love you. And forgive us for not loving you enough. Find us together in the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.